on. I love that, that last song uh, that Izzy and Andrew just, just sang, Let It Rain. It actually brings back uh, a lot of memories uh, for me personally. First time we went to Uganda, most of you probably heard this before, but I'll t- say it anyway. First time we went to Uganda, we were in, um, I can't remember the name of the area, but the real slums of uh, Kampala. Essentially, it was like a, it was like a big ditch, I suppose. And it was a beautiful day, perfect day. Uh, Izzy gets up and starts singing this song, Let It Rain, and, and I kid you not, torrential rain. <laughs> J- like, rain like you would not believe just pours down when he sings this song. Like, and uh, that was the same day that I went swimming in a Ugandan sewage canal um, because it had flooded so much. Everything, I couldn't see, I had to cross over to go to the bathroom and I came back and I thought that it was like this deep and it was very deep and I went swimming in, uh, in Ugandan sewage, uh, so one memory. And it was also the same day that Bowen and myself were carried on the shoulders of the Ugandan version of Chris Hemsworth, whose name was Susan, um, but because, because it, like, it flooded, like this was crazy and we all got carried out, me and Bowen, this dude, no joke lifted me and Bowen over both shoulders and was just trudging through like all this sewage and this water to carry us back to the van so that we could drive back and I could clean myself off uh, after my uh, bath, I suppose. So I, I love that song and, and thank you Izzy and Andrew for, for worship this morning. That was, um, that was fantastic. So I'm just going to pray real quick. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity today to, uh, to share your word. And I thank you for what you've shown me and what you've revealed to me through this week as I've spent time with you. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way this morning. You would speak to us. You would equip us. You would teach us. And Lord, you would help us to see even more than we ever have before the evidence of who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So last week, uh, we were talking about truth, the truth of God, the truth of the scriptures, the truth of uh, of the creation of the world and of humanity. And we began looking at at the reality that there is genuine evidence all through history and all over the world that the scriptures that we have and the knowledge that we have of Jesus Christ is the truth. You know, it's, it's not just blind faith, but there is evidence to what we believe and why we believe it. And so the truth that we believe, uh, it's not subjective. Again, it's not just true for us, but not true for somebody else. The truth of God is the truth of humanity. So this week, uh, we're going to look at some of the evidence that exists that proves uh, a few things. Um, First of all, we're going to look at how or why we can trust the Bible. And then at a couple of important claims or doctrines that, that we as Christians Make that are often disputed by those uh, of the world, uh, like the virgin birth and then the resurrection of Jesus as well. So we're going to look at these things. And let me just, just preface by saying that each of these topics on their own would be more than worthy of an entire sermon to themselves because there's that much evidence and, and stuff and scriptures available. But I've, I've tried to do my best to condense it so we can get through uh, these, these three things today. So firstly, how can we trust the Bible? Now, as believers, we have scriptures that give us insight into this, such as 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13, which says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but 
as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So we see that the, the word is, is truth. When we receive it, we're receiving truth. And again, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Great scriptures. And, and they, they show us who are believers and are, who are in the church that we can have confidence and have trust in the word of God because it's useful. It's, it's truth. When, when we know it, when we understand it, we are understanding truth. But for anyone outside of the knowledge of God, why should they simply believe what the Bible says about itself? And that's an important question. We kind of touched on that last week. Why would anyone who doesn't believe something just believe the words of a book about something that they don't believe, if that made sense. Uh, one thing that, that, that genuinely, truly amazes me uh, about the Bible is, is how many people make it their life's work to study the Scriptures. Um, and not just the words in the Scripture, but how the Scriptures itself came to be. Right? There, there's, there's professors all over the world in, in universities whose, whose lives are dedicated to studying, understanding Scripture. What it says, uh, the context of it, how it came to be, how we have the Scriptures that we have, how we know that, that they're true. And, and, and these people, these men and women, are not just believers. There, there, are, there are men and women in this world who devote their lives to studying and knowing and understanding the Bible that they openly profess to not believe in. But they, they do it because they want to be able to discredit Christians and, and, and the truth. It just blows my mind that someone would invest their lives into studying and knowing something that they don't believe in. And, and, and one of, um, you know, the, these are self-professing atheists who spend their life trying to debunk and disprove not just what the scripture says, but the legitimacy of the Bible itself. And one of the most well-known of these is, is self-confessed agnostic atheist, New Testament professor Bart Ehrman. Who, and this guy has written uh, extensively, extensively about what he believes to be um, inconsistencies in, in, in the Bible, inconsistencies in Scripture. And, and his um, final verdict, I suppose, is that the Bible is irreconcilably contradictory. That's his, you get to the bottom of it, that's what he stands for. That's, that, that's what he believes, that the Bible, it, it just contradicts itself too much, that it's just, you can't reconcile it, so therefore we can't believe it. It's, it's not true. And this is just one of the many things that are thrown at Scripture by those who do not want to believe. Um, that, that they say is proof that the Bible we have is not the inspired Word of God. And along with those who argue as well that the Gospels in particular, which is obviously where we get our doctrine about Jesus and the virgin birth and the resurrection, that the Gospels in particular, um, they argue that the Gospels were written much later in the future after Jesus' death and therefore cannot contain eyewitness accounts, which means that we can't rely on, on Scripture. There are those that say we don't have enough original documents to be able to say that the Bible we have is accurate. But like all other attacks thrown at the Bible, this quickly falls apart. Now, I told you last week that there was a, a huge amount. I'm going to sh show you right now. The reality is there are over 5,800 complete or fragmented Greek manuscripts 
10,000 Latin manuscripts and 9,300 other manuscripts in various languages from all over the world that are scripture and that talk about Jesus and that talk about the truth and that match together. Now, there's also an argument uh, that there are too many inconsistencies uh, between these documents and these fragments that we have, and that there are all these mistakes, and so that they can't be, uh, you know, it can't possibly be true. And I've forgotten the the exact um, percentage, but it was either 99.8 or 98.9% of the uh, of the discrepancies within all of these documents are simple spelling mistakes. Um, that, that's, that's 98 point something percent of the differences. And the reason why these professors are saying we can't possibly believe it, 98 point something percent of it are, are spelling mistakes. And, and you've got to take into account, the, the, these are handwritten documents by, by people who we, we know nothing about their lives, right? We don't know the pressure that they're under or, or what was going on at the time. And, and they're right, like we've got the Bible now, we know how much is written in it. And, and they're being discredited simply because they spelt somebody's name wrong or, or they used the, the, the wrong punctuation. And all these people are saying, no, it can't possibly be true because it's, there's all these mistakes. Well, no, they're simple spelling mistakes. But, but a majority, 99, 98% of all of these documents that we have, whether they be fragments or, or complete, speak the same truth. Speak of Jesus. Speak of the virgin birth. Speak of the resurrection. Speak of the, the, the same stories that the Gospels tell us about. Over time, these documents have been handed down and written and, and, and rewritten, but it's, it's stayed the same, right? And... and, and and apart from the manuscripts we have of, of the Bible, which, which we just shared, um, and there's more for Scripture than there is for any other historical event that has ever been, um, we have things from Greek history, from, from Roman history. We have documented historians such as Josephus. He's a real interesting one. If, if you want to check him out, you can just Google him online. So this guy wasn't necessarily a believer in, in the resurrected Jesus, but, but he writes about Jesus from a historical uh, perspective. And even in his writings, even though he may not openly declare it himself, there's evidence in his writings of the resurrected Jesus because of the stuff that he writes about that happens in the culture at the time and what's going on in the people and what's happening in the cities, that, that things are happening because of this new church, the church of Jesus Christ, and things are changing. And, and, and he writes about this. And, and all of this speak to the historicity of Jesus Christ, which then leads us to the other things that, 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 that we're, we're going to be looking at today as well. But, but, but we can start by, by understanding that, uh, that, 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 that we have more than enough evidence in this world, documented evidence in this world, that the scriptures that we read are true and are correct. And that they're not forged, they haven't been changed or altered over the, the generations. That, that, they, that, that, that the stories contained in the scriptures that we read have not been altered over the years. That they are true. That they are complete. Okay? So... Uh, I said, I can't go into too much of all these today because I want to cover all, all three of these things. But um, we're going to look at a little bit at, at the reality of, of the virgin birth. So we all understand, obviously, that 
Virgin birth requires a miracle. There's no other way for that to come about apart from it being a, a, a miracle. It simply cannot happen any, underway, uh, any other way. So we can understand why those who don't believe in miracles would question the virgin birth. Um, and even Mary herself questioned it at first. If you read in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, Mary said to this angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, who had been visited by the angel, told she was going to conceive a child, uh, his name would be Jesus, questions the angel and says, well, how can this be? I've, I've never known a man. She's speaking and she's answering simply out of her natural understanding of how babies come to be. She's saying, this is impossible. How can this be possible for me to conceive a child and give birth to a child when I've never known a man, when I've never laid with a man? And the angel responds, there's nothing impossible with God. But, but we see even, even Mary herself looking at it originally from the natural perspective. Well, how is this going to happen? Okay. Now, since we've, we've already looked at and clarified that the Bible is a true word of God, we can use it as a source of evidence for some of the other things that, that we want to look at as well and other things that, that, that we need to know. So we have, um, in, in the book of Isaiah, the written prophecy that Jesus would be uh, born of, of, of a virgin. Um, However, we also have, and this is super interesting, we have the reaction of the people of Jesus' hometown that speak to the virgin birth. So I'm just going to, going to read this scripture in Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, um, and then we're going to look into it a little bit. So it says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country. So Jesus is returning to his hometown, his own area. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Hosea, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Now, now this, this scripture holds a clue that is, that is easily glossed over, Okay. When they call Jesus the son of Mary, this is a huge insult in this culture. Because people were were addressed and and referred to as the son of their father. It it was all about the father's name and who the father was. And and that's where you uh, gained your, your stance or your elevation within society or the community was who your father was. That, that was important. Yet we have the people of Jesus' hometown who, who had seen this, this boy grow up and, and become a man and are now hearing him speak all these wondrous things of God and, and being the son of God. And their response is, is, who is this man? Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Right? So it tells us that it was common knowledge in Jesus' hometown, that Joseph was not the father of Jesus, right? And this is, this is super important. And so we also have Mary's reaction to all of this. Because again, culturally, to have a child out of, out of wedlock, incredibly frowned upon. Like you, you would be shunned by society in lots of ways for having a child out of wedlock in this culture. And it would cause you 
and your family to be looked down upon by the rest of the people around you. And yet Mary, in the face of all this, and this would have continued for the rest of of her life, in, in the face of all this, she continued to speak and declared the truth that she was made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She, she continued to declare this thing that the angel told her. She continued to declare the truth that she knew, despite what it was going to do to herself, despite the shame that it was going to bring upon her family. She continued to, to, to declare and to say, no, I, I was made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This, this is a miracle baby. This is a virgin birth. Making Jesus the true Son of God, which spoke to His divinity and therefore His ability to become the blood sacrifice for all of humanity. See, at, at any time, Mary could have changed her story. And, and Joseph as well could have changed the story. At, at any point in their lives, they, they could have changed the story after all the, the bad things spoken to them, after all the dirty looks they would have received in the street, after all the people coming at them and speaking negatively of their family and, and even speaking negative of this baby Jesus because he was uh, born out of wedlock. At any time, they could have changed their story. They, 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 could have claimed, um, they could have claimed that someone had forced themselves on her. They, 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 they could have claimed that uh, Mary could have claimed that her now husband Joseph simply couldn't control his urges and and something happened, right? They could have claimed anything to change the story which would have caused the the, the community to look differently upon their family. But Mary held strong and Joseph held strong to what they knew to be the truth. Despite what was being thrown at them, despite the hatred, they claimed the truth and that they clung to the truth that she knew. Because this fact of the virgin birth is critical to the claims of Christianity and Jesus as our Redeemer. See, if they had have changed this story, then the reality of Jesus being a pure and holy sacrifice for humanity would not be the case. Because he'd just be like anybody else. See, it, 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 w- it wouldn't have been enough for the sacrifice of a man to pay the price for our sins. The same as it wasn't enough for the blood of animals to fully cover sins. It was enough to do it in the meantime, but something else had to happen. And the sacrifice had to be Different. The sacrifice had to be divine. It, it, it had to be the Son of God. And anyone born of a man and a woman is not in that sense. We were, we were all sons and daughters of God as we're adopted into the family, but, but Jesus was genuine Son of God. And, and without that, we don't have the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Without that, we don't have our redemption. Without that, we don't have our salvation. So the fact that they held true to this fact, to this stance, to the truth that they knew, despite what it was doing to their family, despite whatever would have happened and been thrown in their faces, holding on to the truth that Mary uh, gave birth to a child of the Holy Spirit, saves the doctrine that, that we have. And, and, and who in the face of 
of, of, of being shunned and shamed by a community? Who, who would hold on to a lie in the face of that? What, what purpose or what benefit would there be to hold on to a lie in that situation? There, there's no benefit for them at all. But they're holding on to the truth that they knew. And I, I love that, 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 that scripture where it says that, that the, the people of the town knew that Joseph wasn't the father. That, they were, because it means that Mary and Joseph were holding on and clinging to that truth of the divine birth of Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, now the, the resurrection. I'm going to take a, a, a quick look at, at that. And the, again, there's so much more evidence to all of this than what I've put in, 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 in this today. And maybe another time we can look more at uh, specifics, but, but we'll see. So, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 12 to 14. Now, most of us have heard this before, but this is important that we get this out of the way. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that, that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is is also empty. So this is, this is important. Essentially, and, and we, we have this understanding that, that, that our faith and, and what we believe relies upon the resurrection. Because again, without the resurrection, the rest of it's just a cool story. The resurrection and the evidence of it solidifies the truth of Christianity. Okay? And it's worth noting again that we do not just have to assume um, that the New Testament is true, though we do believe that. But there are actual uh, historical points that, that a majority of critical scholars, okay, people who are critical of Scripture, people who, who, who are not necessarily believers in Christianity and follow, followers of Jesus, but there are three major points that a, a vast majority of critical scholars believe to be true. And, and those three things, and we're going to look at each of them um, individually as well, but those, those three things. First of all, number one, the tomb in which Jesus was buried was discovered empty by a group of women, uh, women on the Sunday, Sunday following the resurrection. They all believe that. Number two, the Jesus disciples had real experiences with one whom they believed was the risen Christ. And thirdly, as a result of the preaching of the disciples, which had the resurrection at its center, the Christian church was, the Christian church was established and grew. So these three points are agreed upon by a vast majority, again, of critical scholars, not Christian, biblical, Jesus-following scholars, critical scholars, uh, agree that these three points are true. So first, excuse me, the empty tomb. Matthew chapter 28, 11 to 15. Uh, now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together. They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Excuse me again. Gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So this is important because the Roman soldiers who were instructed 
uh, and entrusted with guarding the tomb were not just some random layabout men who they found and, and, and decided to send them. These were fully trained Roman soldiers who had been training their, their, their whole lives. They knew what they're doing. They knew how to fight. They knew how to kill. They knew how to guard. They, they knew what, what they were doing. And, and the, the fact that, that, that uh, the, the body went, went, went missing, really these men should have been put to death according to, to, to their Roman law. They, they failed in their duty as fully trained soldiers of the Roman Empire, so they, therefore they should be put to death. But here we see, and it's super interesting, that the, the high-up Jews having this discussion and this conversation with these soldiers, saying, and when they're saying, tell them, they're saying, tell the people. Tell, tell, tell the city, tell everyone that what happened is that these men's disciples came and stole the body out from under your very nose. Again, fully trained soldiers carrying weapons couldn't stop a bunch of disciples from rolling. Like it, you know, it doesn't make sense. It it, it does it, it, it. Logically, it would have been impossible for anybody to break into this tomb, let alone just some fishermen, a tax collector, and the, the disciples of Jesus. And so we have an acknowledgement by the high-up Jews at that time in that scripture that something else happened. But they're trying to cover up the truth by, by paying these soldiers off and say, just tell them that the disciples came and stole the body. Okay? So this admittance from the high-up Jews at the time that the tomb was empty and them telling the soldiers to say that the, 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 the body was stolen, they had to create a story to explain the empty tomb. And why would they have to create a story to explain the empty tomb? Because the tomb was empty. Because Jesus was risen. Right? But they didn't want to confess that, so they had to come up with the story as to how it could possibly happen. Okay. Secondly, the, the experiences with the resurrected Jesus. Okay. And it's sometimes argued that the disciples um, either all lied about this, or that these were hallucinations brought on by severe grief, at the loss of their friend, uh, you know, someone that, that they loved. However, it's not scientifically possible that group hallucinations be the same. There is evidence in, in the world of group hallucinations happening, usually to do with some sort of drug uh, associated with that. So but, but never are those hallucinations the same thing. The people aren't seeing the same thing, having the same experience. And the fact that it happened more than once in different places in front of different groups of people is impossible to explain away other than to say it must be true. We were talking about Jesus appearing to, to his disciples. He appeared to, uh, to, to a group of 500 that we hear uh, Paul, Paul write about. He appeared in, in many circumstances and in many instances after the, the empty tomb was found. He, he appeared multiple times across 40 days to different groups of people in different places. And the only way that that can be explained is that it must be true. And lastly, the fact that the 10 disciples... 10 of the disciples, willingly gave their lives in martyrdom for what they claim to be true. People will not give their lives for something that they know to be a lie. 
Uh, now, I don't know much about, um, about American politics or anything, but I know a little bit about uh, Watergate, right, and stuff that happened there, and there's a whole lot of... Again, I don't know the, the ins and outs, right, but, but, but I've, I've read a bunch of stuff on it, and essentially the, the, the men involved in the corruption and, and, and all that sort of stuff, right, as soon as they were... Um, isolated and questioned about what had gone on, they all broke and fell apart and the truth came out. They could not hold on to the lies that they were telling people, right? And, and the, 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 the truth just came out the moment that, that they were put under any pressure from whether it was the FBI, the police, or whoever was involved. The moment that they were put under any pressure, the cracks in their story immediately showed and the truth came out. Right? And yet here we have 10 men willingly give, we won't say willingly, but they, they, they were willing when faced with the option of denying the truth that they knew and denying Jesus when, when faced with death, rather than do that to save their own lives and maybe last a few more years, they all chose to hold on to the truth that they knew. And across the history of the world, there is no other example in any faith, in any culture of, 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 of men like this being willing to, to, to die like this. But there was something different about the disciples because they were willing to die for what they knew to be true. And critical scholars agree that this is unheard of. Who who would do this? And finally, one more thing. The believers in the city of Jerusalem, where Jesus was killed and, and resurrected, the believers in the city of Jerusalem grew exponentially over the weeks after the death and resurrection of Christ. Okay? So the city where it all went down, where people would have been able to go and see the tomb for themselves, where there were witnesses of, uh, of, of the crucifixion, where there were, where there were witnesses of, of everything that had happened, the church grew because the evidence for the people who were there said that this is all true. The evidence was enough for the people in Jerusalem in the weeks after Jesus' death and resurrection. The evidence was there so much so that the church grew exponentially. Like, it, 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 it just bloomed. It, it blossomed. It took off because people had witnessed the truth of Jesus Christ. So the people in Jerusalem were willing to go against the religious leaders of that time, were willing to stand against the Jews who were in charge and willing to stand against the Sanhedrin and those with power in the community. They were willing to stand against all of that in the face of persecution because they had seen for themselves the evidence of the resurrected Jesus. And they had seen for themselves the evidence of the impact that Jesus had on the lives of everyone he touched. 
They had seen the evidence of, as Rachel shared earlier, about those who, who were healed. This, this town, this community had seen the evidence of Jesus. They'd seen the power of Jesus. They'd seen the miracles, right? Then they watched him die. And then they saw the evidence that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. And the impact that he had on people in that time before he was ascended to heaven. We have the impact of the disciples, right? And just just think that we're now 2,000 plus years later. And how many more people have been martyred over those 2,000 years? There's books out there that you can read... Jesus Freaks. Like I remember Karen gave me one when I first became a Christian. Incredible book. Book full of stories of, of, of Christians who were martyred for their faith. Right? But, but we, we continue to have people willing to give their lives rather than deny what they say they believe. And people don't do that unless what they believe is true. They just don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give my life for something that I know not to be true. And I don't think any of you would either, because what's the point? But the disciples, all these martyrs until now, have been willing because they've seen the evidence of the resurrected Jesus. They've seen the evidence of our salvation, seen the evidence of our relationship with God that we have because of Jesus. So I, I, I just, I don't know, I didn't go into too much detail on all this stuff that I kind of wish I had of, but I, I, my, my, my hope is, is that all of us gain a, a little bit more understanding of, of the evidence that we have of the, the truth. And, 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 and next time you're going through something, you might be going through something right now and, and, and things are just crashing all around you and it's hard to see where's God in this, like what, what, what's going on in my life, what, what, what's happening. I, I, I want to encourage you that, that there is so much evidence for God in this world. There's so much evidence for God in the scripture. The fact that you are here in this place today is evidence that God has touched your life. Hold on to what, whatever you need to hold on to. Like, don't, don't, don't let go of the truth that you know. And it's, it's so hard at times when things go on and we just want to, man, I wish I'd never done this. I, I wish I could just go back to doing what I used to do. I wish I didn't have to worry about trying to live my life right and being obedient to God and, and doing all these things. But hold on to the truth that you know that you know to be true. Hold on to the evidence that you have that God has changed your life. Hold on to the evidence that you have that the Holy Spirit is living and dwelling inside of your heart. Hold on to the evidence you have that God has been good to you, that He has taken care of you, that He has provided for you, that He has uplifted you when you were broken. Hold on to the evidence that you have in your heart, knowing that you don't believe in something that is false. You believe in the truth of the creation of this world. You believe in in the true creator of everything that we see. You believe in the one who came to this earth to die for you so that you could be in relationship with him. Believe in that because it's true. You know, it's okay to have doubts sometimes. That's fine. We've all been there. But when we have those doubts is when we need to go back to the truth that we know.
Okay. Let's pray. Father God, we, we, we just thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence that has been in this place with us. We thank you for the incredible time of worship that we have. We thank you for the amazing word that we heard from Rachel and uh, for communion, Lord God. And we just thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. And we thank you, Lord God, for the evidence that you've given us in this world of who you are. The evidence that each of us have in our lives of the reality of who you are and what you've done. And Lord, my prayer is for every single one of us in this place, every single person listening on the live stream today, Lord God, that you would encourage us in our hearts and continue to establish in our heart and our mind a knowledge of the evidence of who you are and what you've done, Lord God. Father, we are so in awe of you and the lives that we have because of you. And Lord, continue to take each of us further and deeper in our understanding of you, of your word, as we read it, as we seek you. Lord, we want to know you more. And Lord, we desire to have an even greater impact in our communities than we ever have before, Lord God, because of your truth that is in us. So Father, I just pray that everyone, uh, as we leave this place today, that you would just bless people this week, Lord God. We we would continue to see your glory and the evidence of who you are at work in our lives daily, Father. And and, and for those of us who who are facing trials and facing struggles and having a hard time of it right now, Lord, that you would just remind us of all that we've seen you do so that we can walk with you through whatever it is we're facing. In Jesus' name, amen.